you know, whenever somebody asks me, oh, like, why do you think that the discipline system is anti-Black? Those, those two teachers, like what they said, I think really speaks for itself. You know what I mean? They're trying to, to kind of build um, compliant Black children who don't advocate for themselves because we are, we're scared and because we've constantly been told since, you know, whatever age you came into uncommon to the time you leave that you, you shouldn't advocate for yourself. You know what I mean? You shouldn't speak up against, against the system. You shouldn't Disagree. Make it make sense. Uh, yo, on common schools, uh, I know you may have mentioned Tony and I uh, talk about it a little bit on here, uh, but there are a network of charter schools that operate in Massachusetts, New York, and uh, New Jersey. Nearly all the schools, like many other charter networks, are located in impoverished black and brown uh, communities. And because public schools in those black and brown communities are often chronically underfunded, we know about the years and years and the legacy of, of, of black and brown schools not being funded to the same levels as, as white schools. Um, parents and students and teachers are often looking for alternative schools where they can send their kids to, to learn and where they can, can work and, and, and grow a community. So in the early 90s, suburban white parent groups in Minnesota uh, kicked off the, the charter school movement. Um, so public money was going toward new private organizations to try to innovate strategies to revolutionize schools. So instead of putting public money, money toward public institutions, our money was going toward private ones to improve public ones. But, you know, make, make it make, it make sense. It make it make sense. Um, mm-hmm. so, so many people will tell you this was a covert strategy to resegregate city and suburban school districts. Uh, with all that's going on in the world right now with the coronavirus and Freedom Summer, as some people are calling it, um, after the death of George Floyd and Tony McDade and Breonna Taylor, um, there's not really been a better time to reflect and reimagine our institutions, especially school, uh, because schools are the first institutions that everybody in the country has experience with. Um, so it's really crucial that we take a look and see what needs to be built in our schools, what systems need to be built up. And what parts of the system would do we need to tear down and dismantle? Yeah. Um, so yeah, I remember. Man, I can't remember exactly what the Twitter post said, but it was some some post from Uncommon's Twitter, and I sent it to you, uh, mm-hmm. you know, a few months ago. And we we went back and, and left some little comments, like calling them out on their bullshit. Uh, you know, yep. and at that time, I was hoping um, that we would see, you know, there we'd see more of that. Uh, and, and sure enough. Um, we both came across the Black and Uncommon page, uh, so we knew we'd have to do an episode with them, um, given we both given we both taught at Uncommon, uh, and so many of the posts that we saw on there uh, directly spoke to our experience um, or the experience of you know other colleagues that we had uh, in the network. Yep. So this is a conversation that we had with a former student and a former dean of students, so a student employee. Uh, to hear more about what's happening at some of uh, some of the, the, the most highly praised uh, public charter schools in the country. Uh, and you'll hear this mentioned in the interview, but make sure you check out the show notes uh, and their, the Black and Uncommon IG page um, to find out more information about their petition and their other calls to action. For sure. Um, and we know the audio might sound a little off uh, in this introduction, so we apologize. We have some technical difficulties, but we did not want to push this interview back. Um, so, you know, we were able to, yeah, being the teachers that we are, we was able to come up uh, with a solution. So, um, but the interview sounds clean, you know, it's on Zoom, like the rest of our interviews. So appreciate y'all for, for taking a listen. 
So Cyprian, I guess, tell us who you are, where you're from, um, and your relationship to Uncommon, and uh, and then we'll go to Tigisti after that. Sure, so hi, I'm Supreme. Um, I'm from Brooklyn, New York, and I graduated from Uncommon High School, Prep Charter High School last year, so I was class of 2019, um, and I just finished my first year at Brown University, and um, you know, I always say like this account has been a long time coming just because towards the end of my academic trajectory at Uncommon, it was when I really started to see it for what it was, especially through like the help of teachers that I had, some amazing um, teachers who came in and also like explained certain things to me. But, you know, I felt like as a senior, um, I was still a little bit scared of like retaliation and I experienced a lot of gaslighting as I know my peers did in terms of like addressing all of the faults with the discipline system. So it wasn't until I really like started going to Brown um, and I really saw the effects of being a student from Uncommon uh, really show up and made the adjustment a little bit harder, I would say, during my first year. Um, but then I also got to take a class that was all about like school discipline and a whole portion of the class was dedicated to charter schools. Um, and so taking that class was just so eye-opening for me because it's just started to make a lot of things make sense in terms of my experience at Uncommon and I got like a whole bunch of contacts that I had never had before. And so um, I took that class this past semester and so it wasn't too soon after that that you know the movement for Black Lives started like really picking up again after the, the murder of George Floyd and then all of these other conversations about just like anti-blackness in general, whether that be in education and the carceral stay and criminal justice, et cetera, et cetera, started coming up. And so I was just like, yeah, I think it's it's time to make an account for Uncommon. Great, thanks. Um, my name is Tigisti. I actually worked for Uncommon for a good, I don't wanna say a good six years, but for six years. <laughs> Um, and uh, I've, I've always been involved in activism and I had gone into education um, thinking that it was, you know, or should be one of the strongest forms of activism that turned out to be not the case. Um, and so I, I spent the majority of my time at Uncommon just um, fighting against a, a racist curriculum that was non-inclusive nor representative of um, Black identities and, and, and other voices, uh, women as well. Um, and then, um, you know, I served multiple positions at Uncommon. I was a teacher, instructional leader, um, a dean, a diversity trainer, diversity under their standards, of course, the safe way. Um, but I always had a problem with, with so much that was going on until it, um, I became dean of students at one of the high schools, uh, UCC. And I just, I couldn't even make it through the year. It was impossible. Um, and, and I left in January. Um, and I've been working now as a neuropedagogy specialist at a Black-run organization, a charter school as well, but it's, um, it's heavily centered on Blackness, Black identity, um, a very culturally informed and uh, culturally relevant approach to the curriculum. Um, what else? I mean, it's just, it, it engages students in critical thinking. Uh, we, we consider ourselves like human developers rather than just teachers. Um, and so I've been there and I came across uh, Black and Uncommon sometime back and I was like, oh, this is so great. And uh, we've, been, we've been rocking ever since. That's great, yeah. Um, so just a little bit about Jacob and I, 
um, I, I, don't, I don't know how much uh, Supreme has filled you in uh, to Gisty, but uh, I taught at Uncommon for three years. Um, my first three years in the full-time in the classroom uh, after graduating uh, college, I, I moved here from Atlanta. Um, and I tell people uh, all the time, I was drinking the Kool-Aid heavy. Um, you know, I got recruited to teach at Excellence Boys. Um, and, and, you know, black principal, mostly black, you know, staff, or they were trying to cultivate that. Um, but really, yeah, you know, got lo lost, lost in the sauce. The, 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 uh, the curriculum, the behavior structure, the discipline structure, all of that was, um, was problematic. So yeah, it was like a year of, um, a year of, of like, okay, drinking Kool-Aid and a year of, okay, maybe I can change it from with, within, like seeing problems and being like, I'm gonna try to change it from inside. And then the third year of, they're gonna resist everything that we try to do that's, you know, um, you know really, you know, transforms or, uh, or reforms this place. So I can't be here anymore, you know. Um, Jacob, you wanna talk a little bit about your, your time at Uncommon? Uh, yeah, yeah, for sure. Um... So I actually got into Uncommon thanks to Tony. Uh, good looking out, bro. Um, not really, not really. But um, <laughs> but yeah, I, I got to uh, Uncommon from a referral from from Tony. Uh, I was at his first year, so hearing that hearing your transition, I see why you maybe you was just looking for an ally to help change it on the inside. Um, but but I was at like <laughs> <laughs> I was at a leadership prep Ocean Hill, which was um, in Brownsville. So I was there for two years, uh, and yeah, I mean everything y'all were saying. So I'm, I'm, I'm reading this part of this last, this like last uh, post from the demands or the the, like, the statement uh, at least. This last page of the statement really, before they have like the uh, not, not yeah, the second last page. Really Basically, you have budgets like, that surpass many uh, networks. Educators are some of the best in their field and experts in leadership. Why not Everything utilize them towards creating systems that are affirming off, and are value-driven? What is your fear if black and brown students are not punished consistently through penal code-like um, systems? What is your fear in seeing uh, black and brown students thriving rather than barely surviving their time with you and leaving broken emotionally and mentally exhausted? Through, three, three what is your fear of teaching students to constantly respond to a curriculum that reflects the diversity of their backgrounds and What are you so afraid of that you would demand black and brown students contort their bodies to constantly meet your policing? while sim simultaneously violating their human so, rights. You know, once I Whether you're right or like uh, like, black indigenous POC, we know that you would never subjugate white like, students uh, to the trauma to, that to you continue to, to inflict I mean, on our I, I had a chance or like talking to people and on a podcast, Tony and I bring it up uh, often. Um, so yeah, you know, there's a hope that someone would, could, could shine some light on this. Uh, and then as soon as the uprisings started again, I was thinking like, this definitely seems like uh, quite an opportunity for places like Uncommon Success Achievement First to um, for the dots to be connected between that and uh, and, and policing, um, and then boom, here here it is, y'all doing the work. Um, so definitely glad, excited to be able to talk to y'all and learn more about it. Um, so to that point, could you could y'all maybe uh, talk to us about what made y'all start sharing your experiences? Um, or, or creating a space on, on, on social media uh, mm -hmm. to allow people from Uncommon to be able to share their experiences. I think Supreme can speak to that. She, she started it and this was her brainchild. So go ahead, girl. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I think one of the main things that 
pushed me to do was also just like the creation of so many Instagram accounts. Like I had friends who went to like predominantly white high schools around the city who started making them. There was like a black at Chapman account, um, black at like Stuyvesant, all of these like really white schools. And so I was like, you know, that's dope. And I'm so glad that people are having a space that black students are having a space to air their grievances out, you know, heal together, call attention to all of the stuff that's happening in their schools. But I really want to see something like this for these no excuse charter schools. I really want to see something like this for Uncommon. Um, and so I just talked to like two of my closest friends about it. And I was like, what do you think? Like, do you think that it would be a good idea? I was still, you know, definitely a little scared because that trauma, I'm not going to sit here and act like I'm totally healed from everything that I've experienced in Uncommon and, you know, that I'm 100% good. So I was, I was scared. And so talking to my friends about it and talking to my mom about it, you know, it was, it, it required a lot of thinking, but ultimately I just decided like, let's just go for it. You know, I know that I'm still learning a lot of things, so I can only imagine all of the other students who have passed through or who are still there. And we just really need a space. We deserve a space to speak and, and be heard and hear one another. And so that's, that's the reason why I made the platform. Yeah, I think, I think anybody um, who, if, if, Folks take a look at it. So when people go and they read it and they see all of you had, you had, I, I want to say hundreds, thousands of submissions, if, if I'm correct. Um, you, it's, it's pretty clear that students had, students and faculty parents had a different experience uh, with Uncommon than the popular narrative about Uncommon. Um, and this is true for other charter networks also, but um, the, the, the brochures and the, um, the websites and all of that, the, the ads on the buses don't reflect um, what uh, what's going on in the classrooms. Um, and as teachers, you know, Jacob and I, um, you know, we and to get to, 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 you know, um, from even, even some other perspectives, right? We knew what it was like as adults to, to exact that, to execute that kind of, you know, trauma in many cases, but um all of that that system like we 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 knew what it was like to do it and we knew how we felt like jacob said it was really weird you know there was that dissonance um tell us a little bit about uh, supreme I, I guess we'll start with you tell us a little bit about like what was um as a student like being and i'm not sure how long you could tell us a little bit about how long you were at uncommon because it might not have been the, your whole school experience um but as a student at what point did you kind of uh, like sit with yourself and be like, oh, this is messed up. You know, like this is not, was that in at Uncommon? Was that, was that, um, was that at Brown? And then how do you look like, what do you think they were preparing you for um, when you look back on it? You know what I'm saying? Maybe what, what did, what did it feel like they were preparing you for then? And what, um, what do you, what do you look back on it and see that preparation as? I know that's a lot, sorry. Yeah, no, it's okay. Um, so I guess I, I think I want to start off just by saying I did not get it the worst. Um, I was labeled as one of the good students at Uncommon because I did well academically. And so I want to start off by saying that my experience is not near <laughs> what other students experience. So I, I just feel like that's important to say. 
Um, but Anangkama was not my whole entire schooling experience. So I transferred pretty late, actually. I transferred halfway through my eighth grade year. Um, prior to that, I went to Catholic school and then my mom couldn't afford it anymore and I really needed to find a better place to go. Um, and so I ended up at a charter school that like was a hot mess and so uncommon, like out of the blue, said like, we have a spot for you. Um, and so I just went and my mom and I knew nothing about it. We just knew that like, it was, it was another option. So I went. Um, and at first it was interesting because I felt like they do a really good job at making you feel very special and like, oh, like, you know, we want to give you all these opportunities to speak panels and recruit kids and, you know, do all this amazing stuff. And like, you know, you're going to get into all these amazing schools. And I think as a young 13, 14, 15 year old girl, um, that was just really affirming. And I, for a while, I think I just lived for the validation that they would give me constantly. And I just kind of thrived off of that. Um, and so I would say that that continued for like the last half of my eighth grade year and then all the freshman year. I think things really started to take a turn um, my sophomore year just because I got really burnt out because I was constantly trying to, you know, be all that they wanted me to be to the point where it became a performance. And it no longer mattered like what was going on in my life outside of school, you know, what else I was dealing with. Like I had to go to school and be a hundred percent for them all the time because they had all of these expectations that they placed on me. And so during my sophomore year, I kind of just hit a point where I was saying, well, what am I outside of what I produce for them? The data, the good grades, the clout that they get from having students that perform well academically. Like what, what else am I? Who is Supreme outside of her academics? You know what I mean? And it was tough because I really love school. I really love to learn. And so part of me felt guilty that I didn't want to be there anymore. And then part of me just felt lost. A part of me felt angry. Um, and so what happened was I just stopped going to school. <laughs> um, I would like go to school like one day out of the week, stay home for like four days, come back, make up all my work and like repeat. And that lasted for a a while that lasted until like my junior year um and that was kind of like my way of coping like, like I would just knock I would just be like that took my pee today I'm just not going back tomorrow you know um and so during my sophomore year when that started that was kind of when I got a chance to step back and say like you know I've never really struggled like this before and I've never felt so tired like going to school um and so it kind of got gave me a little bit more perspective and seeing how students were treated, how teachers were treated. Uh, and it just allowed me the space to kind of like begin to ask those questions. Um, but I would say like the real turning point where I started to actually be vocal about stuff once I kind of re like began like pinpointing some of the things and identifying some of the things that I felt were wrong was my senior year because I had an amazing, amazing um, AP literature teacher. Uh, I don't know if she wants me to say her name, so I'm not gonna say her name, but <laughs> um, she's amazing. And she came in and she was just like, this is messed up. And she just, she was the first time where I really felt safe um, being vocal about a lot of the things that I disagreed with in the discipline system because 
prior to that, I didn't have a teacher who would back me up. Like, it's like, okay, we support you, girl. But if you say something, you on your own. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Um, but she was the first one who's like, I will stand with you. And um, if you have something to say, like, I will, I will be your support system. I will amplify your voice in whatever way possible. And she really was like my ride or die my senior year. And I love her so much. Um, and from that point forward was when I really started to, to speak out. And it was difficult because I got a lot of pushback from teachers, but um, yeah. So that was kind of like the whole trajectory of how things went. It was kind of a lot, but yeah, it was, it was so that's why I say it was a long time coming. Sure. Um, dang, appreciate you. Just, uh, dang, someone who taught elementary school, just like hearing the things you're saying about um, a, like a performance, like you're always trying to be who they want you to be it just really reminded me of what that looks like uh, all the way down to like kindergarten, first grade, um, of how you're incentivizing them to perform that way. Uh, yeah, and then um, punishing them when they don't. Um, and just, uh, I guess along that same thread, uh, Tegisti, could you tell us, um, you kind of like when that clicked for you, so you know, maybe uh, what were some things that you were thinking about education when you first came into Uncommon? Um, and then how that evolved over your uh, six years there. So everything that I thought education should be, I knew when I got to Uncommon that first day in PD, when you have the TLAC videos playing and um, you know they have you going through this role play, I just found it very strange, very cult-like. Um, and so I knew it as soon as I got there that there was something wrong. Um, my, I'm sorry, it's noisy. <laughs> um, my, my problem was that, and I stayed for six years because I genuinely and truly believed erroneously that I could impact an exact change from the inside out. And I think for a lot of us, um, you know, Black folks who work in, 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 in organizations that we don't agree with, uh, whose mission is not aligned to what they actually do and what they actually practice, um, we go into these situations thinking that we could change it. And, and I've come to realize that that's not how it works <laughs> because the system is going to, to, to swallow you whole one way or another. And so it just becomes this extremely exhaustive process of, you know, I, and like, I mean, Supreme is just phenomenal young lady, but you know, you have these amazing students like Supreme and, and it's, it's extremely exhaustive because you're supporting them, but then you're also battling the system, but then you're also upholding these unrealistic uh, requirements in terms of your work product and everything else. So it just becomes this three-way three battle. That, and then there's the battle within yourself and what your role is and what harm your impact, what harm you're inflicting just by being there. Um, and so I, I knew it from the start, but I, I immediately, <laughs> I, they, they hired me to teach, uh, history first. So I was teaching at, at the middle school level and it was uh, sixth grade history is world history, right? And ancient civilizations. And I'm, I'm from Eritrea, East Africa. I was always raised knowing what, where I come from, knowing our history and everything else. And so, uh, the curriculum had no room for anything about Africa. They kept referring to Egypt as being in the Middle East. And so immediately,
immediately that was a problem. So I would just like toss out the lesson plan and I'd be like, actually, here's what it is. And, um, you know, I've definitely received a lot of uh, conversations about alignment, about pushback, because if you ask questions, then you're pushing back and you're not aligned. So I experienced that from my first year all the way until the end. But um, I, I thought I was making progress. And, you know, through a lot of efforts, I, I got them to take some, some very obviously wrong texts off the curriculum um, and to start to, to be um, more intentional about the DEI process. So now they do their DEI uh, checklist that lesson planners have to go through because, you know, that's all we are is a checklist. Um, but I, I, you know, the work for me was with individual students and, and I never got a chance to work with Supreme because we were at different schools. I did not know her until, until this came about, but the work for me was students like her who were aware or I would, uh, I would feed them questions to ask their teachers or, uh, you know, just, but in essence, you kind of feel like, you kind of feel like you're working in the prison system and, and you're, you're that, you know, you're that guard that's like sneaking food and sneaking books and all. It, it just, it's a horrible feeling, but um, I always knew that something was wrong. I am traumatized from my experiences of working at North Star Liberty Elementary. They trained me into thinking that it was okay for students not to have talk time at lunch or breakfast. They never allowed them to be social. And when there was talk time, it would always be the leaders walking around, gearing the conversations, giving them something to talk about, instead of allowing the students to just be free. My heart is still broken. I had anxiety every single day. My passion for teaching di disappeared. What's worse, when the parents or visitors would come, they'd pretend that everything was perfect. It would be extra nights. When the parents get here, don't yell at the kids like how you normally would on a regular day. It's what a white teacher told me before. This doesn't seem off to you. When will on common schools change? We are tired. Uh, a voice from an educator at North Star Liberty Elementary. Yeah, and I, I think it's I think it's like a special kind of manipulation. To the, the way that the way that especially for me coming out, I was coming out of school, and I know for a lot lots of parents uh, and, and teachers. Um, this framing of, of, of we're saving, you know, uh, I mean, you know, we talk about white savior complex and that's real. Uh, we talk about the, the gentrifier industrial complex. I don't know if that's a thing, but like that, we, we know, like we see what that has been now, like kind of how that, how that plays out. Um, but, but, you know, this, I mean, when I, when I was coming into education, when I started at Morehouse, we were, they were, there was like a laser focus on black men in the classroom. So they were at Morehouse with all these education events and Arnie Duncan and Barack Obama and all this foolishness. Um, but it was all about the civil rights movement of our time, right? Like Uncommon and, and education reform and, and KIPP uh, and, and like charters. And, and this was gonna be the thing that was gonna finally get uh, the schools in the hood right, you know? Um, and the kind of manipulation that it's like, this is freedom work. In order to do freedom work, you have to do what it's not going to feel right you know what i'm saying like this freedom work that you're doing it's not gonna it, it don't worry that it doesn't feel quite right like this is what it requires like this is what it requires to transform these little ghetto kids into um you know ivy league students like this is what it takes to make them what we need them to be um 
so yeah, that I just it, it's it's so, so for anybody who's listening who's wondering like how do you could you stay for three years or six years or whatever that connection to students and families feeling like well I'm the only teacher who's like riding for kids I'm the one who's doing the sped you know giving services that the school doesn't provide that I know that that kid needs but I'm trying to like you said kind of sneaking them stuff um, feeling like if you're not there you know that then who's gonna fill that role um, I think is a is a, I guess a real real special type of manipulation um, and it's it, very sinister but we over it's it's very easy to like get trapped into it's very easy to get caught into um you said something um about dei um to get to about about how you were in charge of of some of that and and supreme you can you can kind of come in here too because you all sent out a statement the black and uncommon um team sent out a statement to uh, of, of just a kind of a list of them as a statement and then a list of demands too uncommon um, to have them address uh, some of the issues a kind of in a formal way, a transparent way so that everybody can see. Talk a little bit about the response um, from from uncommon leadership <laughs> and and also um, because that's, we talk about kind of like the, the gaslighting and the manipulation, like this is a part of it. So talk about that, but also I guess talk some about the DEI process also, like what um, what does that look like? You said that it's checklisty, give people like a, like a full picture of kind of what that, cause that wasn't in place when, when I was there. I, I was, I meant, you know, they, they did, they were starting some of that. But I think at the time, you know, in 2011, 12, 13, they were like, oh, we, we got diversity. We got all these black teachers, we're diverse. Um, and I don't think they were that was on their radar enough. But say kind of what, uh, say, talk about what they're doing, um, what they are doing to address uh, their their inclusivity issues, um, and why it's not enough. I guess because that that's clear. You all make that very clear. It's not enough. So uh, say a little bit about that. So um, I'll start on speaking at where DEI was um, as of. January and then Supreme if you can talk about their response and then we can go into why it's not enough. Um, so about four years ago they launched a diversity uh, initiative for Uncommon. Obviously with the huge push of hiring more uh, black teachers, promoting more uh, black and brown teachers to so-called positions of leadership quite strategically um and and just basically it was really a way to uh paint themselves as allies in our communities and as people who are addressing this issue but where it really needs to be addressed which is the curriculum as well as this so-called discipline system it has not changed at all one bit from start to now it's still the exact same and so if you're not dealing with the foundation of oppression that exists within your system you really don't want to address racism you really are anti-black and you can promote all of the all of the black men the black women that you want but black people can be anti-black as well and they they can be manipulated into carrying out these practices and policies that are anti-black uh, but, you know, they look good in, on the face. They look good on the cover. Just like, you know, we currently have Julie Jackson, who's at the very top with Brett Pizer. And she is the most anti-Black individual, even if she's um, talking about Ta-Nehisi Coates books and uh, being in education as a Black woman for years, you know. So um, representation does not always equal equity. 
you know, it's just a way that it's just a tool. It's another manipulation tool. Um, so they had this initiative and what they would do is <laughs> it's a department of two people across three states. And it's two people. And what they do is they, they get every school to have one or two people on site that are the diversity folks who are willing to take on this work. And they basically have PDs to train those people to carry out these very safe, clinical, sanitized, cosmetic sessions that allow white people to talk about race very safely and not really address it. Even, even, even sessions that are called like uh, check your privilege or implicit bias and all, it does not delve into any of it and it's done in a very clinical, sanitized way. And so that's where it was. Um, and I was always pretty vocal and, and vocal in writing constantly to them about what, you know, things that would pop up on the curriculum, et cetera. And so their response was to basically put the, put the bone in my mouth. They threw me a bone and said, hey, you know, you should like help out with diversity, but they never pay anybody for that. They only have two paid positions for that. Um, then uh, last year, they had a book called To Be a Slave, um, which used the N-word at least a hundred times within the first 50 pages. It was basically a collection of slave narratives. And um, it was used to teach literacy to black students in seventh grade. And so you as a black student, you're coming to school and before your day even starts, you're, you're reading through it. And they would say, oh, you can, some schools were saying the N word, some, some schools weren't, but like there was zero guidance nor context given. And the conclusion was always the same. If we talk about like the objective of the lesson, it was, oh, what does this picture depict? depicts a slave, he's dehumanized. So it's just like you're re-oppressing and re-traumatizing children because they're constantly being told that that's like, that's all that they are and that's all they ever will be. Um, so I protested against that. I wrote them a letter, a very exhaustive letter, and they since removed it from the curriculum. They brought in um, some specialists from NYU uh, and then the head of diversity was there and myself. And, you know, we just went through this process of like arguing with them basically about why but because, you know, they don't like anything in writing, but because I put things in writing, then they are willing to meet and, and speak with you. And so as a result of that meeting, the head of diversity, uh, who is a black woman, uh, she started this DEI checklist. And she was like, well, you know, so rather than have a culturally responsive and a culturally relevant curriculum, instead of doing that and having books that actually represent our history way before slavery. And, and of course the, the Caribbean and all of the, the diaspora, you know, rather than do that, what they said is they came up with a checklist in conjunction with this NYU expert um, that every lesson planner had to basically check off as they planned their lesson. There's no vetting process for these lessons and the curriculum is still the same. And so that's, that's where I left it and that's where it was. Um, and then Sabrina, if you can talk about their response to our demands and statement. Yeah, so um, the response was, uh, we actually shared it like on the Instagram a couple days ago. I don't even like calling it a response because I don't feel like that's a response, but her email back, um, it was it was also on behalf of Brett Pizer. I think she like CC'd him or something. And you know, 
my our initial reactions were very strong when we read it it was just like this is not she didn't address anything and um you know we sent that that whole statement of demands or, or lists of demands and the, the statement to them and then it's like she never addresses it she never even acknowledges it and says you know thank you you know a lot of labor that was like a labor of love but like it took a lot of time nonetheless and like to not even acknowledge it was kind of like an insult and then like my whole issue with the way that they've been responding to this to the accounts and stuff like that is just there's a lot of passive voice that's being used and that annoys me um because it's almost like you're 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 very intentional about even dodging calling things what it is you know what i mean like you want to call racist institutional policies and practices negative experiences you want to like throw around all of these statistics about how many black teachers you have like teachers of color principles of color as if Tigisi just said like they they can't be anti-black as well um and, and if I can if I can just jump yeah. in right here when you talk about having um people of color in positions of leadership we directly address that in our demands the fact that 98 percent of their um exactors and, and executioners as you said brother um of the discipline system the racist discipline system and anti-blackness are all black and a few latino However, their curriculum, the heads of their curriculum planning are all white. There is no one black there. And so that speaks to what you actually value. Go ahead, sis, sorry. No, 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 you're good, thank you. Um, and then I think a couple of days ago, they also sent out like a follow-up, which was just asking students and teachers to like anonymously send in like a submission where they're talking about their experiences. And I'm like, well, like, you can just look at our account if you want to see what people's experiences are. You can also look at the Uncommon Truths account if you want to see what people's experiences are. So, you know, which we also like had a lot of conversations about, about why like they refuse to look at our page and um, validate the stories that are on there. But um, it, it was just, it was, it was an insult. You know what I mean? And not even just like to us, like running the account, but to the students and to the teachers and to the parents who send in, who sent in those submissions, like, something that I think we always make it a point to tell people, sorry, who always make, we always make a point to like tell people who send in submissions is just that like, thank you for sending this in because we know that it's not easy. And like sending in, you know, all of these different accounts and all these different experiences is traumatizing. And so to not even have that be the least bit validated by Julie Jackson and Brett Pizer and, you know, the executive team as a whole, it's disappointing. And, you know, it's, it's, it's hurtful. But I would also say that it's not surprising. And that's also something that I want to make clear because a lot of people were saying, yeah, you know, we're not surprised. Neither are we. <laughs> but um, I think like, if anything, the way that we're, we're looking at it um, is just that it's, it's our cue to, to apply more pressure. Um, we're not letting up on them and, and we're not compromising on any of the demands that we, that we gave out. Um, none of those things are debatable them changing some of the uniform policies and trying to make it more inclusive that's cool that's cute but like that's not what we act that's not all of what we act and so you know right now how how we're choosing to move forward is just saying like all of these demands still stand and and we demand that they they do better and that also starts with a proper acknowledgement because that that email that she sent out was not a response yeah. and and the truth is how can you change something if you won't acknowledge that it exists? How can you change something if you're saying, oh, these are a few, they were very clear about saying, thank you for the feedback. You know, they're feedback driven, right? 
thank you for the feedback. Um, these are a few for highlighting a few negative experiences. There's over 6,000 something people speaking to their experiences. And if you go across um, our page, Black and Uncommon, and then the Uncommon Truth, all together, that's over 10,000 people speaking on this. So how dare you say that it's a few negative experiences? Um, one thing they mentioned that was that, oh, we're working with an organization called Promise 54 um, to, to revamp our, our diversity efforts and to address these things. But under no circumstances are they admitting that any of their practices were harmful, were anti-Black, were racist, and they still use and, and, and demand that teachers use TLAC, which is heavily based on the broken windows uh, policing system. And he says it explicitly in the book um, by Doug Lamop. And so, you know, for that reason, anything that you implement is gonna be corrupt because you have not acknowledged that it exists and you truly don't wanna do it. You really are just being performative and exploitive and you're also exploiting these times of, you know, the Black Lives Matter movement by acting as though you are with the movement, but you're directly and very covertly and purposely, intentionally, same word, right? <laughs> working, you're, you're literally working against the liberation of Black lives, against the liberation of Black minds. Two major policies at Uncommon Ocean Hill. Drop it and leave it. If you drop your pencil, you are not allowed to pick it up. You have to get permission to pick it up. If you yourself do pick it up, you are given a demerit. A second awful rule is making eyes, which meant you were not allowed to make eye contact with others and if you were caught, you received a demerit. Oh, and the Sharkies or the special education children had their own special room and were not allowed to interact with the other scholars, not even allowed to eat lunch with the other kids. The opening week of school is spent watching PowerPoints about how terrible the local community is. For example, 90% of your people are in prison and we are here to help. An entire day of decimating the community's image. A voice from Uncommon Schools, Ocean Hill. I had never been so afraid to go to school. For a middle school, I felt like I was mentally and physically worn out from all of the training to be a so-called professional adult. I was only 13 when I graduated middle school and went to high school. I'm currently 16 and going into my senior year. I'm still a child figuring out my place in the world. I have never felt like my true authentic self walking into the doors of school. I've always felt out of place and faked my smile through the halls just so that I won't get asked what's wrong. The worst part is, I feel like something will happen once I do speak out. That's why I've always stayed quiet and never spoke back to teachers. I've never had true courage to speak out, but I hope this system and I will change together. Uh, a student from North Star Academy, um, Lincoln Park High School. And for, for anybody who's listening, who's wondering, TLAC is, is, is the book uh, Teach Like a Champion, which is the holy grail of uh, charter school uh, pedagogy, I, I guess you will, if you will. Uh, it's, I mean, now it's become sort of uh, the manual for, for teachers nationwide. Uh, it's, it's very widely distributed um, now, even to public schools and to private schools. 
um, because of the purported um, efficacy of Uncommon's program. Uh, lots of other schools now are buying. Not really, we got to talk about how this is all rolled out. Um, they're buying the books in by the dozens. Um, so school districts, whole school districts, buying these books for their for their teachers um, and principals. They're they're uh, they're running program, you know, uh, seminars and and conferences and all kinds of things. So this is not only um, you know like a, a pedagogical challenge. There's also this is also a money-making scheme. Um, this is, they've taken a lot of, you know, what black and brown teachers have been doing in black and brown classrooms all over the country for decades. Um, they've taken other books and condensed it down into like this easy to read um, mm -hmm. manual, so to speak, um, for how you discipline kids and how you manage a classroom. Um, um, so just problematic in a whole bunch of num a number of ways, but yeah, TLAC, the the the, the broken windows, probably the, is the most. It's, it's you said it's at the beginning. It's literally quoted in the book. It's like right at the beginning, uh, as like a foundational part of what their the the book is all about. Um, so yeah, the, it, there's no there can be no question that um, the foundations are 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 corrupt are are. Um, you know, foul, you know, and it, 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 and it needs to be addressed from that level. Um, can you, I don't know, I don't know Jacob was going to ask this. Can y'all say more about um, the discipline system and how it is um, anti-black, uh, how it plays into uh, policing black children, how it prepares um, black students for um, 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 a carceral state um, and what that looks like in, in practice? Jacob, you want uh, to say something else? Yeah, just one part with that question. Um, I was looking on Uncommon's uh, website, and they have a little tab that says the student experience. Mm -hmm. And so, I'm not going to read all of it, but just the way it begins, um, what was a white woman giving a young brother a, a, a fist bump? So, you know, that's one thing. Uh, and then next to that, it says, uh, leading with love. At Uncommon Schools, we love our students for who they are and for who we know they can be. We celebrate their, their brilliance and we support them uh, to achieve their full potential. We set high standards for character and academics while creating joyful classrooms where students can discover new interests, new interests and develop their identities. We build relationships for life, supporting our alumni throughout college and cheering them on as they pursue their dreams. We believe that every one of our students has the potential to um, change history. So, uh, just one super quick comment on that, I, and I didn't realize this the first time I read it, um, but it has a part that says we create joyful classrooms where students can discover new interests and develop their identities. Um, my whole experience at Uncommon led me to start an organization that does uh, exactly that because we weren't doing it there and the school was upheld. It was like a blue, blue ribbon school and got all this interest um, and this copy, you know, over and over and over. That's wild. They even claim to do that. Um, but just kind of like juxtaposing what Uncommon says the student experience is like to what it actually is from the perspective of, um, of a student and then um, with Supreme and then from uh, Tagisti, from, uh, you know, a teacher, Dean, Dean, right? And, and, and um, someone who's like doing DEI work. Uh, I know we talked to a little bit around the curriculum, but could we hear a more, a little bit more about it around discipline, not to, 
not in an effort to like just over analyze or over focus on that. Um, but I do, I do feel like the, the discipline at the school and the procedures is definitely a huge part of what makes the school, um, you racist, problematic, uh, you know, yeah. Yeah. So I think it's very telling, even just interacting with teachers um, throughout high school, like how they, what they thought the discipline system was for. Um, and so my senior year, I did a project all about the discipline system and how it affects um, the black students at, at schools, at Uncommon School specifically. And um, I like interviewed both teachers and students and, you know, just like, talking from their experiences and things that they told me like a lot of them said that you know they the way that they viewed authority was was completely like distorted because of their interactions constantly being policed both physically and mentally um all day every day you know what i mean for like 11 months out of the year you know what i mean um and i think that there's there's no room for error like i said there's no room for just being a human being like your your experiences outside of school whether you ate that morning whether you have siblings to take care of after school you know whether you are you have a far commute because that's also some that's something that isn't discussed enough like these teachers come and they gentrify our neighborhoods they're pushing us further and further i'm from brooklyn further and further out into brooklyn into queens into manhattan wherever we have to go to get affordable rent so the commute can be like an hour and a half to two hours to come to school but if we're a minute late by not shaking our dean's hands then you have detention like so that's something that's also just not like taken into consideration. So there's no room for grace. There's no room for understanding because a lot of these teachers, quite frankly, just they can't relate. You know what I mean? Like some of these teachers, they just really can't relate. So they don't even take the time to like ask, hey, what's going on? Like, you know, what, how can I support you? You know, nothing. Um, but in doing that project, you know, a lot of those, a lot of those things started to come up, but I interviewed I was very intentional to, of course, like interview black teachers and get their perspectives and then also interview non-black teachers. And so I was interviewing one non-black person of color um, and I, I just was just asking her a bunch of questions. This was like over a year ago, so I don't remember what the questions were in, in, in uh, specifically, but like just asking her her thoughts and what she thought that the discipline system was like supposed to do. Um, and she, she said like, you know, you guys come from the worst neighborhoods in Brooklyn um, you don't get any structure at home you don't get any discipline at home so it is our job as teachers as educators in this school and in this network to give you what you don't get at home to give you that structure that you don't get at home um, and then I had another teacher who was black <laughs> who was saying like you know what if a cop stopped you? Like you, this discipline system is supposed to to train you to 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 know how to act so that you don't you don't get killed in in, in an instance like that. And so I think you know whenever somebody asks me, oh, like why do you think that the discipline system is anti-black? Those those two teachers, like what they said, I think really speaks for itself. You know what I mean? They're trying to to kind of build um, compliant black children who don't advocate for themselves because we are, we're scared and because we've constantly been told since 
you know, whatever age you came into uncommon to the time you leave that you, you shouldn't advocate for yourself. You know what I mean? You shouldn't speak up against, against the system. You shouldn't disagree. Like, you know what I mean? What, what you think doesn't matter. They, that's why through the curriculum and through the discipline system, they don't encourage critical thinking because that would mean that you're speaking out against the conditions that you're in presently. You know what I mean? Um, and so I, I, I think that it's just very telling when you have like these educators again going back to the part of uh, some of them can't relate like i live across the street from my high school so that's why sometimes like i point when i'm talking about it because i literally like i'm staring at my classroom when i look out the window um and you know so many teachers would say make like little comments because i live in the projects and so so many teachers make like little comments about the area and the neighborhood. One teacher was like, oh, you know, we can't protect you. Like, look at the area that this school is in. Like, so they think, cause some incident had happened in school and she was like, I don't understand the point of like upping security. We can't protect you guys anyways. And I was like, well, I live across the street. So what are you, what are you trying to say? You know what I mean? So it's, it's, it's very layered. Um, but I think that, like I said, when teachers say things like that, it really speaks for themselves what they think that the, the function of the discipline system is. And if that project that I did where I just just interviewed just a few teachers, just a handful of teachers, um, if they think that, then what do other teachers who I didn't get to speak with think at other schools in other states? You know, this was just at my one school in Brooklyn because they didn't want me going to any of our sister schools in, 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 the, rest of, in the rest of the city. So, you know, what, what do teachers at those schools think? What do teachers at elementary schools think in Newark, in, you know, Boston? What do, what do all those teachers think about the students that, that, they're, that they're interacting with on an everyday basis, you know? So that, that, that's my piece on it. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, you said so much, Supreme. <laughs> so I'll let you. <laughs> um, but, but I think from, from the other perspective, uh, we really have to consider how are we measuring success? You know, what is the success of teaching? What, how do you know you're being successful? If the only measure is a state exam score at the expense of their identities, at the expense of their self-agency, at the expense of having a question, just being human, then, then you failed and you continue to fail. And so if my child does really, really well on state exams throughout their time and comes out of it and is in, in college, and really, I mean, Sabrina is, is, is phenomenal in her achievement, of course, and it's not um, taking away from, from, from her intelligence that, that she's at Brown, but it's also exceptional because Uncommon will only, only advertise consistently that students can only go to SUNY schools. And that's because of their own financial ties and investments with one another. And so they deter students from, from uh, exploring other high schools. They tell students that they can't shoot for certain high schools. And so that in there is, 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 is very sinister. Um, in terms of the discipline system, the fact that discipline is systematic is indicative of the fact that you are racist. And we all know about the school to prison pipeline. We know the statistics are very real. And so what kind of individuals are you raising if they are required to be visibly compliant just to be alive? And you're telling them that if they're not, they're not likely to make it in the world, which we know is not accurate. What are we doing when like, as, as a Dean, I know a lot of students got sent to me for simply asking why. 
and, and, and you guys know that what are we doing when we incentivize behavior and tie it to their character? So they get a character report at the end of every week and it's in dollars, in fake dollars. Oh, you lost $3 for looking away from the teacher. You uh, had your head down and so, and, and, and so that's where it just became intolerable for me because if a high school student who's in 12th grade, you know, was like this for, for too long and got, got told, you know, hands off your face, hands off your face. And, you know, he says, but why? What do you like, what's the problem? All of a sudden he has to be suspended. He's missing class time. And so if your priority is not student achievement, your priority is policing, your priority is punishing, your priority is control, then, you know, that, that's why it is a racist anti-black system because of these practices that continue and that continue to persist. Yeah, and maybe just to give a little bit of, I mean, because y'all are talking about from like middle school, high school, um, and y'all might not have had the same experience that that elementary school, or might not have seen some of the things that happen in elementary schools, but just to talk about the type of training when we talk about, I mean, there, there is no, um, I don't know that any self-respecting person of color, black person, who, however you want to break it down, is going to say that in order to, to, to uh, you know, liberate free, you know, free the minds of our children and raise the next generation of, of free thinking, critical thinking, um, black children, black and brown kids, that the way that we have to do that is keep them from talking to each other at breakfast. Um, to prohibit talking at breakfast. It's not that it's like, oh, it's quiet. It is, it is forbidden to speak, to, to say, hey, I got a, you know, Beyblade. I got a new Beyblade. You know what I'm saying? Like that, it is forbidden to say that. Um, to, to talk about it being forbidden to speak at lunch, right? So that you cannot speak at lunch. You have to earn the privilege to speak to your peers um, during your leisure time. The fact that there is no, like, we, you know, uh, the way that you, the way that you sit, the way that you write the bathroom, the way that you, the way that you stand, the way that you line up. And not to say that, you know, uh, we talk about like, like kids do need, we do need to like teach a child, hey, this is what we're gonna do when we're in the hallway, right? This is how we move. We're on this side, not that side. We're not jumping up and down. We're not swinging our hands. Like there are things that children need to be taught and, and guided for, and there needs to be explanations about how to do things. Um, private schools would never have any of this at their schools. They would, they, you would never see a parent paying thousands of dollars to have their students um, be told to sit and slant for eight hours. A slant meaning that they have to sit with their hands folded on top of the table. Legs down, back for eight hours a day. Um, like, so really policing bodies and, and voices in such a way that you really don't see outside of, of, of um, uh, what we think about prisons, right? We don't, we don't think that there are spaces where you can't talk except in a place like a prison. You know what I'm saying? So um, um, really, really wanted to kind of just highlight the, the ways that it, that we start the training early. And like you said, that, that the, the incentivization of, of character and behavior and how it works, um, you know, Look, a lot of it looks good on service. We don't say tough love and all of this, and that's especially true for black and brown folks. You know, we, we the structure and tough love and all these things are definitely there, but um, the way that it's executed uh, is, I, I don't, they don't allow parents to come into school and see, and there's a reason, you know what I'm saying? Parents couldn't come in the classroom. 
you know that uh, you know yeah so yeah that uh I, i'll say the one of the stories for for later um but that just definitely reminds me of this one time we had uh i think our charter was like being renewed and so you know they have to have the people come in and review um and I, I, the school uh uh, uh dang, I forgot the name of the school leadership prep ocean hill was pretty it seemed like pretty extreme um and I tried to make it, it seem like it tried to be like the North Star of, of Brooklyn. Um, and so what ended up happening was, so in our school, there was like a, we didn't have a dean. Um, so we had like a room that was pretty, pretty small. Um, and so anytime kids were doing things like not having their hands together, don't have their hands like attached to their legs while they're walking in the hallway, talking to breakfast, whatever, or not whatever, but just any of those super minor things that, I know I don't ever do as a grown person. Um, and when I'm around my nieces, I never ask them to do any of that stuff. Um, and because we teach now, like would never ask them to do that uh, or force them to do that because they sure not ask it at uncommon. Um, but if they didn't do any of those things, they would go to this little room and the teachers would scream at them at the top of their lungs, like telling them to do whatever the thing was. And usually it was like, fold your hands. Uh, it's like, put your hands together. So you got, mostly white women screaming at black kids all day long uh because their hands are together um, or because they ask you questions like why uh and and so the day we were having our charter or the day before we were having our charter review our principal nikki bridges was like hey we have these people coming in um and when they're here like what let's if we have any problems like just send the kids to me you know we're not going to do things as we usually do it because these people don't understand why we have to do those things um so i think for me that's when it i knew everything was weird but that's when it clicked i was like damn she knows it's fucked up um and this is how she as a black woman has rationalized this environment she's running and it's like being held up uh and propped up um as an enforcer of of this like white supremacist um uh, uh structure and like yeah um but all right, we are definitely past how long we were saying it would take. Uh, so if it's cool with y'all, maybe one more question. All right, cool. Um, so one thing that we've been doing a lot lately is just like trying to do more time, like reimagining what we want places to be like, things to be like, society to be like. Uh, and so we want to ask y'all that about just school um, in general. So uh, what do you think of the purpose of, of school should be and like what would that look like uh, and we clearly it's not uncommon um, but yeah like what would that look like um, I think like in simplest terms I want to see a classroom environment where black boys and girls um, just feel seen and loved and and heard and valued um and they could just be kids you know what i mean and i just i think that you know where all where, where their dreams are also validated you know what i mean because i think that we've we've gotten just an outpouring of love for for the creation of this account and support but in the few times that I think we might have gotten pushback was just people saying, oh, well, you know, 
you got to where you are because of uncommon and like you're you're able to you're here because of uncommon when no many of us are here in in spite of uncommon you know what i mean um and so i i i think that there are a lot of kids you know uncommon's mission whole their whole mission is like tune through college and like they they get us too, the majority of us, but the majority of us also don't get through. And that's because, you know, where we go after our time there as alumni going off into college, we don't, we're sent to colleges where we don't necessarily feel, it's like we would have gone otherwise, you know what I mean? A lot of kids just, again, I think Tegisti brought this up, like they want kids to just go somewhere. And so the, the majority of students go to like SUNY schools and CUNY schools, even when, you know, some of them wanted to go elsewhere. And so they go, they get onto the campus where they felt like, okay, I'm from Brooklyn, I'm from Newark, I'm from Boston, like I'm from the city. Um, and I'm now in the middle of nowhere where there's nobody who looks like me. And I'm supposed to be here for the next four years. And so a lot of people struggle mentally, emotionally. I have friends who had to transfer, you know what I mean? Or who had who dropped out or who just never went, you know what I mean, to begin with, because they were just like, I wouldn't have chosen this this campus um, had they not pressured my my parent into into choosing it or whatever. And so I think that that's also something that's important in education is to like let black kids have their own path and um, choose their own course, whatever looks, whatever fits and honors their the journey that they want to be on you know what i mean and so i think that's also really important because like what are you telling all of these black kids if every time they they want to kind of reclaim some some agency or some autonomy like you're telling them no like this is not this is not okay like this is not the way this is not good like even with going to an hbcu it's like this forbidden thing you know what I mean? it's not real it's not reflective of like the real world as if blackness is a monolith we are not all the same like you know what i mean our experiences are not all the same so i just think after a while after having that like be into your mind from again like elementary school to now like it it, it caused it's a lot of trauma and then you have to unlearn all of it which also takes time and also impacts a lot of students as they as they move out of uncommon so i just want a space where black kids feel loved on and adored and supported and their dreams are supported. So I think that that's just it and it's in its simplest terms and form. I, I completely agree with you. Um, I have a background in uh, developmental neuroscience research. And so um, when the work that I do now, uh, neuropedagogy specifically looks to address trauma uh, within black and brown um, children and students and the ways in which you can best teach considering all of these different uh, levels of traumas that exist both within the body as well as the mind and, and the emotions. But um, one thing <laughs> that gets like overlooked completely is that learning is emotional. Learning is 100% emotional. And so in order for that learning to occur, the student has to be receptive to it. But in order for them to be receptive to it, for example, they're very, if we think about like Maslow's hierarchy of needs, you have love, but like love is at the very, very top. It, it like comes before water, it comes before everything else. And so for a student to actually learn, they do need to feel love. They do need to feel hurt, to feel like they're being heard. And so as we look to kind of take what's happening globally as an opportunity to really Im impose and impart change we have to actually listen and that's why i was so 
attracted to, to, the, to this work and working with students. You know, we can get together as adults, the three of us, I mean, you're an adult too, <laughs> almost, but like we can get a, together as educators and, and, and whatnot and say, I think they need this, I think they need that. How can you know without asking them, what do you want, what speaks to you, what's going to help? And, and then you take that and actually um, uh, include it in the design of the appropriate school that students need. But I think at the center of it is tending to their social emotional needs because that's what's going to allow learning. And most importantly is to actually allow them to ask questions. Why, they should be allowed to have critical thinking to ask why, because as soon as you take that away and you take the agency away, then what, you're not teaching them anything. They're simply regurgitating information. Um, so I think that's at the center of it. You have budgets that surpass many networks, educators who are some of the best in their field and quote experts in leadership. Why not utilize them towards creating systems that are affirming and are value driven? What is your fear if black and brown students are not punished constantly through penal code-like systems? What is your fear in seeing black and brown students thriving rather than barely surviving their time with you and leaving broken emotionally and mentally exhausted? What is your fear of teaching students a culturally responsive curriculum that reflects the diversity of their backgrounds and history? What are you so afraid of that you would demand black and brown students contort their bodies to constantly meet your policing while simultaneously violating their human rights? Whether you're a white, black, indigenous person of color, we know you would never subjugate white students to the trauma you continue to inflict in our communities. And it's time that you treat black and brown students and families and staff with the dignity afforded to all other human beings from the Black at Uncommon official statement. Awesome, couldn't have said it, that, that was great. I mean, that, that um, I agree, I agree with all of that. that yeah, we are in alignment. Um, yeah, and I think I think there are more, you know, teachers in these schools who, who uh, agree with us, but our teacher parents, um, leaders who are being, um, you know, manipulated, like we said earlier, who are being manipulated and gaslit into believing something else. Um, but yeah, that, that part about learning being emotional is Yes. If I could add on is like, and we, and we put it in our demands, like what are, what are you so afraid of? What are you scared of? Why do you have this like, crazy need to control their their physical their mental their spiritual their emotional everything about them what is what is the fear that you have of blackness and of black joy of black thought black movement and so i think at the heart of redesigning and really addressing it, if you want to address it and us as educators if you're within the uncommon system or any other uh, oppressive charter school system you really have to ask yourself like what am i afraid of can i teach without this um this like uh paycheck system or this like you get three dollars taken away or now you're in the red and color coding their behaviors mm -hmm. can i really teach because if you can't you are not a true educator you know so we do have to deal with this fear of blackness that exists because if there was no fear these systems wouldn't wouldn't be in place yep. 
Yeah, that's a fact. And you never even get the chance to see if you can because if you even start to go down that road, um, you best believe they're going to be in your classroom, I would say 24-7, but nine, nine, five, however long the day is, five days a week. Uh, you know, 15 hours. <laughs> right, yeah, six, 16, <laughs> right. five. Um, right. Make it until or in, until you start to implement everything the way they want it to, or if not, yeah. they're going to get you up out of there. Um, damn, that's a fact. And if y'all are listening, you don't have to do that. I, uh, I promise, you are seeing it every day now. Uh, mm-hmm. And it's so much more enjoyable. Yep. Um, cool. Well, then the last question. Uh, you know, we being educators, we try to drop some homework or give some folks some homework. So you know, we what a dialogue we um, is, is is extremely important. And I think uh, dialogue is a form of of action. You can't just you know we can't just be talking. Uh, so are there ways that you y'all like um, people to support uh, you and the work y'all are doing with um, Black and Uncommon? Okay, sure. Um, so something that we recently just rolled out a couple of days ago is an email template um, and a change.org petition. And it would be really helpful for folks to send that out. So the email template is basically going to go to the executive board, the board of trustees, and we linked a couple of social media like outlets and elected rep- representatives, depending on like the location and the region that everyone's from. Um, just demanding that they give us a better response <laughs> um, and acknowledge how they've how they've perpetuated so much anti-black harm, um, and demand that they also acknowledge like the list of demands and the statement that we sent out and stuff like that. So that's one thing that folks can can um, send out, and they just have to like put their name on it. Um, everything else is just like already typed up because we wanted to make it accessible for folks um, and and simple too. So that's one thing, and then. Uh, the change.org petition. I think we have like 500 signatures already, which is wild. Um, so for folks to sign that and share it as much as possible would also be great. Um, and those are two really easy and tangible ways that they can support. And I think like the on, other- babe, so that's Sorry, can you, yeah. can you tell people where all that is? Oh yeah, sure. That's all linked in our in our Black and Uncommon Instagram bio and on our Twitter bio too. So you just have to click the link and they're right at the top of the, of the link tree. So that's where they are. Um, and I think the other thing that I would just say is just take care of yourself too for all of the Uncommon students, past, current, teachers, parents, because this is not easy work. Um, and so the best way to support this movement is to support yourself in the way that you need to and show up for yourself in the way that you need to because um, I think trying to do this constantly around the clock is just very unsustainable um, and it's a lot to take in emotionally and mentally physically the first two days of creating this account were not pleasant <laughs> because we had just like this out like so many submissions and so many things to deal with and it was a lot for all of us to like read and take in one after the next so I think practicing self-care is just important. And I just wanted to hold space for, for saying that. So, yes. <laughs> um, I, well, I do think it's important, um, in addition to uh, following Black It Uncommon on Instagram um, and the links mentioned, if you are within the system or within any system that's oppressing Black and Brown students or children, and you feel uncomfortable, make your leadership uncomfortable and you know i i I often go back to this you know frederick Douglass, uh, you know on his deathbed said agitate agitate like do not stop agitating them do it in writing keep 
keep keep a running record of it. We cannot allow this time of change and global and universal shifts that are happening in consciousness to 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 pass us by without us riding that wave and really taking um, taking charge of this opportunity for change by demanding it and by actually doing it. And the way that you can do it is to ask questions. You can start there. Your lesson plan looks kind of crazy. Ask them questions. They don't like it. They're not going to like it, but they can't fire you for it. So ask questions. Do it in writing. Um, come together with folks like uh, Brother Tony and Brother Jacob here. Come together um, and, and, and create coalitions, galvanize, but you cannot stop speaking out. We can't continue to carry out these practices that are oppressive, that we disagree with. If you disagree with it, don't do it. Ask questions. Or if you feel you have to do it, then, then, then document your questioning of it and make it really, really uncomfortable for them. Um, so, yeah, it, you can do that. Um, also, just like educate yourself, you can also reach out to, to us at Black It Uncommon on like culturally relevant um, resources so that when it's time to like, you know, Uncommon specifically has this idea that like you can give feedback, but you often have to give an action step afterwards. You know, because you can't just complain, you should have action behind it, which is a universal thing that they've adopted. Um, but if you're going to complain about something and you're you're wondering about a proposed solution for it, you can reach out to us. We'd be happy to support that work. Yeah, there are so many resources that are also on the page, like in the highlight section, I think that there's one called Listen and Learn. And so there, like, there are a lot of books um, and just a whole bunch of resources for people to, to read because like you said, there's no excuse to not know at a certain point anymore, especially with everything that's going on. Um, there's no excuse to say that like, you don't know what to do or you don't know how to how to educate yourself like there are so many books out there and so many podcasts that you can that people can listen to so um yeah the, there there's a bunch of stuff there and we're always happy to provide whatever resources that we can um if you just reach out via dm or email us or, or however and as as a final note like when when you are in these schools and you're seeing things wrong if, if you're having trouble like with following along with like trying to figure out how you should respond at the very very least ask yourself what am i demanding of this student that i wouldn't demand of a white student what am i like what about me thinks that a black student requires more discipline and more structure in comparison to someone else so at the very least even if you can't if you can't affect the curriculum you can affect your one-on-one -on -one interactions yep. with them. You can be humane. You can be caring. Huge, critically important. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. This was, yeah, this was. This, uh, we, uh, we, we uh, keep people keep blessing us. We, we keep getting uh, really great uh, interviews and lots of good information. And this is, this is one of the best. So thank y'all for, um, for, for giving us your perspectives and letting us know about your negative experiences. <laughs> uh so yeah so so you know hopefully you know some 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 um colleagues of ours you know who still work um uh, with and around uncommon and, and and schools like it um can hear some of this and feel motivated to to do something different um jacob any 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 last words parting uh, words no no much appreciate y'all taking time today and just for you know all all the work y'all been doing um just yeah you know highlighting all the things that are going on going on in uncommon and then demanding that uh things change you know they can't stay the same so um 
you know, definitely rooting for y'all and then for sure yeah. doing it. gonna be taking part in the actions y'all laid out. Uh and now that, and we connected and I'm on the page, so I'll for sure be, you know, staying stay staying in the in the loop, see what I can do. Um and we'll uh we'll make sure to put the add black in our comment in the show notes and then I'll also put the link tree from the page in the show notes too. Um so yeah, we'll make sure we got all that there. Uh but I hey, appreciate y'all. Thanks so much. Thank you for creating that forum and inviting us. We definitely appreciate any opportunity to share share the work. So thank you. 